There's so much evil and deception in this world that it's difficult to imagine that things are going to get a lot worse. But the Bible tells us that they are. So what's holding back this avalanche of awfulness? How close are we to the times of Antichrist and the dreaded mark of the beast? Paul explained to the church in Thessalonica that God has erected a supernatural barrier against total evil overwhelming the world. The scriptures foretell that the ultimate Antichrist in the mark of the beast can't be revealed until a restraining order from God is removed. So who or what is this restrainer? The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. The man of lawlessness known as the Antichrist is mentioned here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in the New Testament. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote about the time near to the second coming of Jesus. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus the Messiah and our being gathered together to him. First of all, what does our being gathered together to him mean? Well, Paul is saying he wants to talk to them and comfort them concerning the rapture when the Lord himself will descend from heaven into the atmosphere to snatch up and to gather to himself all believers in the clouds. So he wrote, now concerning the Lord's coming and our being gathered together to him, we ask you not to be easily shaken by any spirit or any letter alleging that the day of the Lord has already come. You see, apparently the Thessalonians had received a false prophecy purporting to be from Paul, and deception had created anxiety amongst them. So Paul wants to reassure him here that he didn't write the letter. He said, don't let anybody deceive you by any means, for that day of the Lord's appearing will not come except there first be a falling away, and the man of lawlessness, the son of perdition, is revealed. Paul's saying, first, there's going to be a big defection from the faith. Even in his own day, he was already seeing the beginnings of the apostasy. False brethren were giving Paul a lot of grief, and many deceivers had already infiltrated the churches. But the man of sin, the so-called Antichrist, is still a mystery to be revealed in due time. There have been many satanic antichrists, but Paul warned in this chapter that a great apostasy would precede the revelation of the final man of sin. Then in verse 4, Paul said, The man of sin, the Antichrist, will oppose and exalt himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he will dare to seat himself in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. This verse guarantees that a third temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem, and my Orthodox Jewish friends are talking about and praying about it all the time. But notice that Paul calls this temple the temple of God. So it's wrong for eschatologists to label the third temple as the Antichrist temple, although the Antichrist will surely desecrate it. But here in 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, 
Paul clearly calls it the temple of God. Paul prophesied that this future final Antichrist will have the audacity to sit in God's place, for the temple is God's dwelling, and he will dare to appropriate the holy temple for worship of himself. But now listen, but you know what's now restraining him so that he may be revealed at the proper time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who restrains lawlessness will continue to restrain lawlessness until he is taken out of the way. And then, that is when the restrainer is removed, the lawless one will be revealed, whom Paul said the Lord Jesus will annihilate with the breath of his mouth and the majesty of his arrival at his second coming. So here's the sequence outlined by Paul. First comes the apostasy, and earlier versions of the Bible use the word departure instead of apostasy. So he says, first the departure happens. And so some theologians have said the departure could refer to the rapture. And then the restrainer is removed. And only when the restrainer is removed is the lawless one capable of being revealed. Paul clearly expected believers to be snatched out of this world in a pre-tribulation rapture before the day of the Lord. And he said God is controlling the timing of the rapture and the revelation of the Antichrist. Something, he said, has to be removed before the world can be introduced to the Antichrist. Now this is a question that's long been debated by theologians. Who is the restrainer mentioned in 2 Thessalonians 2, 6? Let's look at the definition of the word restrain. It means to hold back from action, to keep something in check or under control, to repress, to deprive of liberty, such as a restraining order. Do you know, I looked up on the internet and at any given time in the United States, there are more than a million active domestic restraining orders. But God has a restraining order against Satan and Eventually, it will be lifted for a season, and his evil activity will no longer be limited or hampered. Paul says to the Thessalonians, when I was with you, I told you about the rapture. I told you about the day of the Lord, and I told you that the day of the Lord would be marked by the man of lawlessness, the son of perdition, committing the abomination of desolation in the temple. But all of this has not yet happened. So who or what is the restraining power that prohibits the Antichrist from being revealed before his time? Something is standing in the way and hindering the revelation of Antichrist. Something is putting the brakes on the unveiling of the man of sin. Whatever or whoever this restrainer is, it's clearly impeding and holding back sin and lawlessness in the world today. Well now, didn't Jesus tell us that we, the body of Messiah, the true church, are the salt of the earth? And what is salt? A preservative. I'm not talking about the apostatized institutional churches full of unbelieving believers. They may have some restraining influence upon society, but it's the real believers who take a stand for righteousness. It's the bold remnant, the company of overcomers in the nations. It's the bride of Messiah who purifies herself and prepares herself for the bridegroom who are the true salt of the earth. It's the wise virgins in Jesus' parable of the wise and foolish virgins 
who have oil in their lamps. Jesus told the overcomers, the followers of the way, that we are the light of the world. And what does light do? Light dispels darkness. Well, theologians have suggested that the restrainer is the church or the Holy Spirit or governments or even the Archangel Michael. But the context suggests that it's God who decides when to remove his restraining power. Then Satan and the powers of darkness will go full throttle with their hellish plans. The context of this passage implies that something powerful and supernatural will have to be removed in order for the Antichrist and Satan to have their way. The best explanation is that when the Lord's bride, the true church made up of born-again believers, is suddenly removed during the event known as the great snatch, the rapture, the great catching away of the believers, then both the church and the influence of the Holy Spirit within the church will be evacuated. And this evacuation of Bible believers will create a vacuum, thus allowing the revelation of the Antichrist and an exponential increase in lawlessness worldwide. The floodgates of evil will be open. Although believers in this lifetime have always been promised persecution and tribulation, not a bed of roses, nevertheless, at the removal of the church, a new time period will begin, known as the Great Tribulation in the book of Revelation. Evil will increase exponentially, and evil will be unchecked. In the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, the church is mentioned many times, but after the rapture that some pre-tribulation theologians believe is described in Revelation 4.1, the church isn't mentioned again until Revelation 21.9, where we're shown the bride called the wife of the Lamb now. On earth, the church is known as the bride, but now in heaven, she's become the wife of the Lamb. And she will return with the Lord at the end of the great tribulation period when Jesus, Yeshua, will rule for a thousand years from Jerusalem as the son of David, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, the removal of believers from earth before the great tribulation doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit will not be active on earth. The Holy Spirit will certainly be very active. There will be 144,000 evangelists from the tribes of Israel. And also, according to Revelation chapter 11, two prophets will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to perform signs and wonders. Many theologians believe that these two witnesses will be Moses and Elijah, because the book of Revelation tells us that these men of God will produce signs and wonders of the magnitude that were performed by Moses and Elijah. Revelation 11:5 and 6 describes their powers. It says, if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouths and devours their enemies. These two witnesses will have power to shut the sky so that no rain will fall during the days of their prophecy. And they will have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they decide. In one of my recent programs by the title, Plagues Herald, Jesus' Return, I reviewed all of the plagues that will be poured out on the earth according to the prophecies listed throughout the book of Revelation. I want us to appreciate the role of the restraining power of the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, people are prone to lawlessness, 
But lawlessness has been kept in check by the spirit of the living God and by our Judeo-Christian ethic. Faith and ethics of a just society are reasons why many people are kept from rapid ruin. But take away all the resistance to sin due to honoring the Ten Commandments, take away righteousness and morality, and you will see how fast people will descend into utter chaos, lawlessness, barbarism, and anarchy. Good forces have been restraining evil. As believers, we should do everything we can to perpetuate the ministry of the remnant church and its restraining power so that days of opportunity can be lengthened for the gospel's sake. For millennia, politicians and leaders and churchmen have recognized the restraining influence of God. But even many believers are deceived presently into behaving as if this world is just going to drift along indefinitely without any real culmination to history. The Holy Spirit's role in the church age was hallmarked by the unique descent of the Holy Spirit upon believers, and that's recorded in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, in order to indwell and to empower disciples to share the gospel with every nation. And throughout church history, the protective, restraining power of the Holy Spirit allowed the church to grow. The restraining power of the Holy Spirit prohibited the gates of hell from prevailing against the church. Despite much spiritual warfare through the ages, because of the restraining power of the Holy Spirit, people from all nations have had the opportunity to receive a saving knowledge of the Savior, King Jesus. And the church continues to expand, reaching many people around the world with the truth. Yet, a future time will come when the full number of the church will be completed. And then God will know, and he will shout, as it were, time's up, and the church will be evacuated to heaven. And then God will work to finish the redemption of physical Israel, the nation of Israel. Now, you may be wondering, what are some references? Well, the reference for the evacuation of the church is 2 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, where Paul says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Messiah will rise first. Then he said, After that, we who are still alive will be caught up together with the resurrected dead in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will forever be with the Lord. And there is an important parallel reference in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul wrote, Behold, I tell you a mystery. What is a mystery in the Bible? It's something that was hidden in God, but has now been revealed. Behold, I'm telling you a revelation. In other words, Paul explained, we shall not all sleep in death, but we shall all be changed in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. So both 2 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15 mention the supernatural trumpet call of God. Now, after the rapture, the Holy Spirit will operate differently. The restraining order will be removed and he will allow the appearance of Antichrist. The man of sin will try to usurp God's place and he will persecute anybody who dares to defy him. The miracles, signs, and wonders that God accomplished through Messiah will be parodied by the man of sin and his sidekick, the false prophet. 
just as Jesus' second coming to earth will be with power and with his mighty angels in flaming fire, so the coming of the lawless one will be with power, but it will be inferior satanic power. Well, back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9. Paul describes some of the characteristics of the lawless one. He said he will be accompanied by the working of Satan with every kind of power, sign, and false wonder, and with every wicked deception directing against those who are perishing. And why are they perishing? Because, Paul said, they refuse the love of the truth that would have saved them. And he said, for this reason, what reason? That they refuse to love truth. God will send them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie in order that judgment may come upon all who have disbelieved the truth and delighted in wickedness. This is a very strong warning. God doesn't just condemn people. They condemn themselves because they don't love truth. Oh, you see how important it is to love truth? We have to settle it now in our minds and hearts that to please God, we're going to have to displease and disappoint some people by choosing to side with truth. Scripture tells us that God's not willing that any should perish, but people have a choice to receive the Savior. Jesus said he is the truth. He came into the world that the world through him might be saved. But when the world doesn't receive him, they are rejecting God's truth. Those who reject the Lord are not loving the truth. It's dangerous to be indifferent to truth and to reject it. Jesus said solemnly in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Many persons might have been saved. The truth might have set them free. But this is the verdict of John 3, 19. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So we're here to warn you to please beware of deception in these last days. Don't let anybody beguile you. Believers should be very watchful, as Jesus admonished, being as wise as serpents, but innocent as doves, because each of us should have our own independent convictions based upon this word of God. Well, Paul goes on to encourage believers to stand firm, and even if you're going through persecution, he wanted you to be comforted by the fact that Jesus could come at any moment to snatch you away. But for those left behind, the false prophet, who is the second beast mentioned in the book of Revelation, will also perform deceptive, great, lying wonders, so that he will call down fire from heaven and deceive those who dwell on the earth by means of miracles that he will have satanic power to perform. The Antichrist and the false prophet will work miracles by the energy of Satan. Their miracles will not be mere deceptions, but will be evil manifestations because their origin will be from the father of lies. Their whole intent will be to mislead people into worshiping the personification of Satan. Lying wonders are called lying wonders because their signs are manifested by a satanic imposter. Even in Matthew 24, 24, our Lord has warned us of false messiahs and false prophets whose signs and wonders will be startling. But miracles alone do not prove the presence of God. Amen. 
Well, believers mustn't be discouraged when we see growing lawlessness, rioting, fraud, deception, skepticism, and unbelief rampant amongst us. These things were predicted. We were forewarned in Scripture and encouraged to look up because our redemption is drawing closer. The restraining order has not yet been removed because there's no global leader making a pact with Israel and demanding the mark of the beast. And the abomination has not yet happened in a rebuilt temple. But the shadows of these future events are already on the horizon. So we must be calm and steadfast, looking for the imminent appearing of the Lord. Already in the world, the forces of unbelief and evil are gathering for a mighty conflict. The armies of God and Satan, the powers of good and evil, light and darkness, faith and unbelief, seem to be marshalling in preparation for an end-time struggle. It must come, Holy Scripture tells us. And after the restrainer is removed, the world will be charmed and then bullied by the coming world leader whom Paul described in 2 Thessalonians 2.3 as the son of perdition. By the way, who else in the New Testament was called the son of perdition? Judas the betrayer of Jesus. In John 17, 12, Jesus called Judas by the terrifying name, the son of perdition. The expression is a Hebraism, meaning son of death, one who has destined himself to eternal death, and one who pulls all who follow him into utter death. The son of perdition is an adversary, a human Satan, filled with the awful energy of the evil one. So the son of perdition, the Antichrist, will sit in the temple of God in Jerusalem, reviving the madness of Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a forerunner of the ultimate Antichrist, who had persecuted the Jews of Judea and Samaria, and who had desecrated the holy temple. But the world still hasn't seen the Antichrist. Perhaps Satan was grooming Stalin or Hitler as the final Antichrist but he couldn't pull it off because he was restrained. Even Hitler, as diabolical as he was, didn't manage to enthrone himself in the temple of God in Jerusalem. That's yet a fearful spectacle to come. There's been an obstacle in the way prohibiting Satan, and the obstacle was the restrainer. Satan has been held in check, but look out! Someday, and I believe it will be soon, the restraining order will be removed by God. The body of Messiah will be taken out of the midst. Then chaos and lawlessness will prevail, and the lawless one will be revealed. Thankfully, his activity will endure only for a short time. Believers are looking for Christ, hallelujah, not Antichrist. So we don't live in fear. We're comforted by our blessed hope of the sudden appearing of our Lord and Savior, realizing that the same God who created the universe will also consummate it according to his eternal purposes. No human effort can fully restrain Satan, the power that holds back Satan from bringing the final apostasy and the Antichrist is the Lord himself. He has restrained Satan, so as many souls as possible can be saved throughout the past 2,000 years. But I must warn you that God's gracious spirit will not always strive with people. God eventually lets rebels have their own way to be lords of themselves. Eventually, tragically, the Holy Spirit withdraws from people who grieve and 
continually resist his gracious influences. And so it's urgent to repent now because someday there will be no space nor time to repent. People who refuse to believe the truth of God will instead believe the lie of the man of sin. But that will be the judgment and justice of God. People who reject the Bible are ready to believe anything except the Bible. They'll accept any narrative. They'll swallow any theory, any hypothesis that contradicts this word of God. They'll deify humanity rather than the living God. There's such a thing as honest doubt as expressed by the apostle Thomas, but unbelief in a very large measure simply results from sin. You see, sin darkens the mind and the heart. Sin always leads to intellectual unbelief. Times of darkness will come, but let's be strong in faith because the apostasy means the Lord's coming is near. And also in the meantime, let's be faithful to the gospel. Character is forged in daily routine, such as our daily Bible readings and prayers. Daniel the prophet, whom scripture testifies was greatly beloved by God. He went home every day to his room to pray where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And in Daniel 6.10, we read that three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had always done before. So let's notice some things about that. First of all, during a crisis, and he was praying during a crisis when this verse was written, Daniel resorted to his prayer chamber. His window was open towards Jerusalem. And that speaks of Daniel being open to the spirit of revelation because he faced Jerusalem in prayer, knowing that it's God's city and it's tied to God's prophetic eternal purposes. His habit, as with all practicing Jews, was to pray three times daily. So great character is forged by great habits. And notice that Daniel knelt. He wasn't casual talking to God. He positioned himself humbly before the Almighty. And he had the presence of mind to give thanks for God's providence and sovereignty in a crisis. Just, it says, as he had always done. That means he didn't call on God only in emergencies. His relationship with God was ongoing, as should be ours. Now, urgently, I encourage you to put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, the world's only Savior, while there's time. The door of salvation is still open, and there's still room for you to humble yourself at the foot of the cross. In the meantime, I also want to draw your attention to our website, exploits.tv, which will be very helpful to your spiritual walk, and we continually report on Bible prophecy and end-time events especially as they relate to the church and to the nation of Israel. And at our website, and at our Jerusalem Channel YouTube website, we also have a helpful library of videos available 24-7, and we invite you to sign up for our free electronic newsletter, Exploits. Daniel 11.32 declares that the people who know their God will be strong, not weak, and will carry out exploits, meaning that we're going to accomplish the works of the Lord in the remaining time that we have before his imminent return. And you can stay in touch with us on your phones or tablets through our free Jerusalem Channel app. And if you have any questions, feel free to contact me on the social media. And so until next time, I'll be always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Dark. Shalom and 
Maranatha.